Hello and welcome to another episode of the VO2 Lounge. In this episode, we will be delving into human muscle physiology and its relation to athletic performance. So in this episode, I'll be delving into the nitty gritty of muscle structure, uh, dissecting the uh, the mechanics behind muscle contraction and examining the critical role of the neuromuscular junction. We'll also take a pragmatic look at the energy metabolism pathways, focusing on how they contribute to endurance and power specifically. Uh, Join me as we dive into the specifics of muscle fiber types and their impact on athletic capabilities. Uh, From there, we'll explore the practical side of muscle adaption, including hypertrophy and the role of um, neural adaptions in um, skill refinement. Uh, Lastly, we will address the practical challenges of fatigue and recovery, discussing evidence-based strategies that you can employ to optimize performance. So stay tuned for the comprehensive discussion as we navigate uh, the intricacies of human muscle physiology in the context of athletic performance. Let's start by exploring the remarkable structure of our muscles. Muscles are intricate organs composed of different components working in harmony with one another. At the core are muscle fibers. These are the contractile units responsible for generating force. Within these fibers, we find myofibrils, thread-like structures containing the contractile proteins, actin, and myosin. Surrounding these fibers, we have layers of connective tissue that provide crucial structural support and aid in the transmitting of force effectively. But the real magic happens within the muscle fibers themselves at the level of sarcomeres. Think of sarcomeres as the building blocks of muscle contraction. It's here that the remarkable sliding filament theory comes into play um, and the interaction between actin and myosin filaments within the sarcomeres leads to contraction, causing the muscles to shorten and generate force. Now, as we consider the different types of muscles, we encounter great diversity. Uh, Skeletal muscles, these are the muscles connected to our bones and they are under voluntary control. They are at the forefront of athletic performance, allowing us to move, run, jump, and lift. Uh, cardiac muscles found in our heart, these muscles contract involuntary, involuntarily to keep our blood pumping and our bodies thriving, of course. Then we have smooth muscles. These are found lining our internal organs like the digestive tract and the blood vessels, orchestrating involuntary movements essential for bodily functions, way outside of just you know athletic performance. And when we think about movement, it's not just muscles themselves, it's the communication between nerves and muscles that orchestrates the entire process. Uh, This communication hub is known as the neuromuscular junction. Imagine it as a form of bridge between our um, nervous system and our muscles. Now, the neuromuscular junction, at this junction, more motor neurons, uh, those Special nerve cells communicate with our muscles through neurotransmitters like uh, acetylcholine. This chemical messenger sets off a chain of reaction leading to muscle fiber uh, depolarization and ultimately contraction. Um, the mechanics behind muscle contraction are nothing short of like phenomenal or inspiring whatever word you like to use so you have the sliding filament theory or the ratcheting method i think it comes under various names i'm not sure i've never looked at it specifically in a textbook but at the heart of muscle contraction lies the sliding filament theory this theory explains how muscles contract by sliding 
um, by a sliding action of actin and myosin filaments within our muscle fibers. It's like uh, an intricate dance between myosin heads uh, attaching two actin, forming a cross bridges that pull and slide the actin filaments leading to muscle contraction. Um, then the actin is released and the muscle is able to relax and return to its original state. Uh, shifting the focus now to energy metabolism, the powerhouse that actually fuels our muscles during uh, various activities. When it comes to endurance and sustained efforts, the aerobic pathway takes center stage. This process relies on oxygen to efficiently extract energy from substrates like fats and glucose. So fat oxidation, which is the fat um, molecules stored in adipose tissue, serve as an extensive energy reservoir. In the presence of oxygen, fats undergo uh, oxidation, breaking down into fatty acids. These enter the mitochondria where they undergo further breakdown, producing ATP. This gradually, uh, sorry, this gradual energy release is crucial for prolonged activities, making fat oxidation a cornerstone of endurance performance. Then for glucose oxidation, for moderate to high intensity activities, glucose oxidation is critical. Carbohydrates stored as uh, glycogen are broken down into glucose, which undergoes glycolysis. If oxygen is available, pyruvate enters the mitochondria for oxidative phosphorylation, generating ATP. Uh, The Krebs cycle completes glucose breakdown, producing CO2 and water while releasing energy. Effectively, that is why when you exhale, you are exhaling uh, water and CO2. Then we have the anaerobic pathway and we'll mention lactate. As intensity surges, the anaerobic pathway steps in, providing rapid energy without oxygen. Glycolysis kicks into high gear, breaking down glucose into pyruvate. However, in the absence of sufficient oxygen, pyruvate is converted into lactate, a byproduct often associated with fatigue. Now, while lactate has been unfairly criticized slash demonized slash it is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you or whatever, it serves as a valuable resource. Lactate can be shuttled to other tissues like the heart and the liver where it's converted back into glucose through the Cori cycle. This recycling not only generates additional ATP but also prevents excessive acidification allowing for athletes to sustain higher intensities um, for limited durations. But still, they are capable of doing greater work. Um, Supporting these pathways are the, you know, the key players of energy production. I've already mentioned it, but ATP and creatine phosphate. Now, ATP, also known, well, formerly known as adenosine triphosphate, is the body's energy currency. How you will probably have already heard of it referred to in the past. It's like the battery that powers our movements, and then creatine phosphate, on the other hand, acts as a rapid uh, replenisher of ATP during those quick, explosive bursts of activity, which is why it is more favorable for people in the strength realm. Because, as I mentioned in previous episodes, there will be water retention associated to this greater um, store of creatine phosphate, which will increase body weight. And if you're a cyclist or a runner, well, 
what per kilo or just body weight in general is more important is less favorable. I think I, I already glanced over this in earlier, but muscle fiber types uh, and their relation to performance. So our muscles are diverse and this diversity is a key factor in athletic performance and where the deviations person to person start to arise. So we have type 1, which is also known as slow twitch fibers, um, which are fatigue resistance. So type 1 muscle fibers, also known as slow twitch fibers, possess a remarkable re uh, resistance to fatigue. This unique quality is attributed to their physiological structure, which includes a high density of blood vessels, aka high capillary density, and an abundance of mitochondria within the muscle cells. The abundant Capillaries ensure a uh, consistent supply of oxygen-rich blood to the muscle fibers during prolonged activity. This sustained oxygen delivers, um, delivery supports efficient energy production through our aerobic metabolism, a process that utilizes fats and glucose to generate adenosine triphosphate, ATP, and the cells, which is the cell's er energy currency. So it's kind of clear why this would these muscle fiber types are so critical in endurance performance. The high concentration of mitochondria within type 1 fibers further enhances their ability to generate energy. Mitochondria are often referred to as the powerhouses of the cell as they facilitate the breakdown of fuel sources in the process of oxygen to um sorry, in the presence of oxygen to produce ATP. This oxidative metabolism is gradual and su sustainable process, allowing for type 1 fibers to maintain energy production for extended periods without succumbing to fatigue. Um, so with aerobic powerhouses, type 1 fibers primarily rely on aerobic metabolism, uh, a mode of energy production that utilizes oxygen to break down fats and glucose. Both are broken down. Uh, this uh, reliance on oxygen-rich pathways grants type 1 fibers their endurance prowess, making them well-suited for activities that require prolonged efforts, such as long-distance running, cycling, and swimming. And to be honest, even a 800-meter race is incredibly aerobic, really, and 5 kilometers is purely <laughs> a mile is aerobically dominated so utilizing so the utilization of aerobic metabolism ensures a continuous supply of atp to the muscle providing the necessary energy for muscle contractions throughout extended periods of activity as a result individuals with a higher proportion of type 1 fibers are better equipped to maintain a steady pace and endure prolonged exertion without experiencing rapid fatigue in the context of athletic performance, endurance athletes often exhibit a higher percentage of type 1 fibers. Their presence allows these athletes to excel in events that demand consistent, sustained efforts, enabling them to maintain performance levels over long, extended endurance events. Now, moving on to type 2, which is your fast switch fibers. Now, if we're talking about power and speed, it's type 2 fibers that steal the show away from type 1 fibers. They are far superior. These fibers are all about rapid, forceful contractions. They are like uh, the sprinters of our muscle world. Intrinsic, in, sorry, in, interestingly, type 2 fibers come in 
three different forms. These are type 2A, type 2B, and you also have type 2X. So type 2A fibers straddling the line between endurance and power. Type 2A fibers blend oxidative and glycolytic qualities. Their adaptability makes them the engine behind sports requiring bursts of energy within sustained efforts, such as football and middle distance running, for example. Although you don't traditionally think of football as an endurance sport, it is a 90-minute game. There, Yes, there's a half-time, but that is a prolonged period that you can't solely just rely on pure glycolytic performance uh, and an anaerobic performance. Really. So type 2B fibers uh, are dominantly glycolytic. Type 2B fibers are the sprinter's secret weapon, delivering explosive force in rapid bursts. These fibers fuel maximum accelerations, making them vital for tool to disciplines like sprinting and weightlifting alike, where it is just a pure force equation. Now, type 2X fibers, often considered a variant of type 2B fibers, type 2X fibers share similar characteristics. Their contribution to specific athletic abilities may hold nuances yet to be fully unveiled. So it's important to note that athletes' muscular fiber composition is influenced by factors like genetics, training methods, and specific demands of their sports. This composition plays a significant role in determining the athlete's strengths and optimal performance domains. Most of us never really get to the point where our fiber type is heavily dominating where we sit in relation to others. It's often more just our training and our lack of optimization towards where our genetic potential necessarily is. So muscle hypertrophy is a dynamic process that involves uh, intricate cellular mechanisms. When an athlete engages in resistance training, the mechanical tension placed on the muscle fibers triggers a cascade of events. This initially micro tears occur, sorry, Initially, micro tears occur in the muscle fibers, activating satellite cells, dormant cells situated on the outer surface of muscle fibers. These satellite cells proliferate and fuse with existing muscle fibers, contributing to muscle repair and growth. The process, the process of protein synthesis plays a central role in muscle hypertrophy. During our recovery, the body synthesizes new proteins, which are incorporated into muscle fibers, causing them to increase in their size. Uh, this adaption in, is influenced by various factors, including the intensity volume, the frequency of training, and so on. Athletes seeking uh, muscle hypertrophy often employ strategies like progressive overload, where the resistance or the load is gradually increased over time, to continually challenge the muscles and force them to grow and adapt. It's important to note that muscle hypertrophy is not solely driven by mechanical stress. Hormones, particularly testosterone and growth hormone, play pivotal roles in regulating protein synthesis and muscle growth. These hormones stimulate satellite cells activation and protein production. Proper nutrition, especially adequate protein intake, is critical to provide the necessary amino acids for muscle repair and growth. Obviously, as you age as well, this becomes even more prevalent and a greater almost amount of protein is required to get the same stimulation 
and the same amount of muscle growth and repair. Now, I think it would be unfair to talk about uh, muscle physiology in relation to athletic performance without spending some time talking about neural adaptions and skill acquisition, because especially in team sports, this can have a almost greater impact on an athlete's performance. So, Neural adaptions are key component in skill acquisition and athletic improvements. As athletes engage in deliberate practice and repetition, uh, sorry, and repetitive movements, the central nervous system undergoes several adaptions that enhance motor control and coordination. Uh, motor units recruitment refers to the activation of motor neurons and associated muscle fibers. Through training, athletes become more adept at recruiting larger and more appropriate motor units for specific tasks. This allows for more forceful contractions and greater power outputs. Uh, More unit synchronization involves coordinating the firing of multiple motor units within the muscle itself. With practice, the timing of motor unit activation becomes more precise, leading to smoother and more efficient movement patterns. And you can see how this would be the case for running, cycling, rugby, tennis, football, anything really where there, it, you are moving, which is sport, especially over a prolonged period. You can see how it would be incredibly beneficial to not only be able to recruit more fibers, in a, but also recruit them in a more efficient manner and a smoother shot, a more forceful shot in tennis, football being able to kick the ball and more specifically be more skillful with how you place the ball this is all critical to athletic performance now motor learning and memory are integral in uh, sorry integral to skill acquisition Uh, repeated practice ingrains movement patterns into the brain itself creating strong neural pathways that facilitate um, accurate execution of skills This is why practice and repetition are essential for mastering complex movements in sport and why more of the team um, sports where there are a more skill-related activity in comparison, say, running and cycling, where there is less of a need for really delicate finesse, necessarily. Uh, So proprioception, or the sense of body position and movement, plays a critical role in athletic performance. Athletes develop enhanced proprioception feedback through training, enabling them to make rapid adjustments and maintain balance during uh, dynamic movements. Um, This is heightened uh, kinesthetic awareness contributes to the precise and controlled execution of skills. And you can imagine how this is incredibly important for, say, downhill mountain bikers or even cyclists doing descents where they may need to correct the bike due to like uh, slick tarmac and cornering in say a criterium or a more tight circuit style race and then obviously this is understandable with things like rugby and football where you could be knocked off balance and so on and so forth so these neural adaptions and skill acquisition are crucial and they are linked again to the muscles and the incredible physiology of these muscles now on to fatigue and recovery the Really, the crux of many training plans and the bane of many people's existence when it comes to wanting to perform their sport more than their body would like them to. So fatigue is a complex phenomenon 
that can arise from various physiological and uh, psychological factors. Understanding different types of fatigue and implementing effective recovery strategies is vital for optimizing athletic performance. Um, peripheral fatigue is often associated with the accumulation of metabolic byproducts such as lactic acid during intense exercises. These byproducts interfere with muscle contraction and energy production, leading to a decrease in force output and endurance. Proper pacing and nutrition can help delay the onset of peripheral fatigue, however, it eventually will hit you. Um, central fatigue involves a decrease in the brain's ability to activate motor units. Even when the muscles themselves are capable of contracting, the brain is getting in the way. Psychological factors such as motivation and mental fatigue contribute to central fatigue. Mental strategies like relaxing techniques and maintaining a positive mindset can help mitigate central fatigue. Obviously, this becomes more and more important when doing really long, long events, say like six, seven, eight, nine, ten hour events. This central fatigue can really uh, start to kick in. Now, recovery strategies are essential for athletes to become uh, to, to bounce back from intense training and competitions. Adequate nutrition, hydration, hydration and sleep provide the foundation of recovery. Foundation. So forget about all the other fancy recovery modalities. Nutrition, hydration and sleep should be the top tier of that. And if you've maxed all those out, then start looking at these other little things like massages and ice baths and so on. But active recovery techniques such as low intensity exercise and dynamic stretching help improve blood flow and facilitate the removal of metabolic waste products from the muscles themselves. Techniques like massages, foam rolling and cold water immersion can alleviate muscle soreness and promote healing. These really should be incorporated, like I said, when you've got excess time, maybe you're Maybe you're lucky enough to be doing a multi-day event. Really good time to get these in where you just really need to be kind of relaxing and maybe you just want to start uh, nudging the recovery process along or maybe you're about to hit a big event and it's like you've got the time now just for a week to really keep on top of the recovery and the day before really just freshen up uh, the legs. Now incorporating well-planned recovery periods into training programs is essential for preventing overtraining reducing the risk of injury and ensuring consistent performance gains over time. So proper recovery allows for muscles to repair, adapt and grow stronger, ultimately leading to an improved athletic performance at the end of the day. As we conclude this episode on human muscle physiology and athletic performance, we've uncovered the intricate mechanisms powering athletic excellence, from the synergy of axin and myosin in the muscle contraction to the strategic energy metabolism pathways, we've gained insights into the body's incredible capabilities and how it's far better engineered and in some ways than anything we've ever created. For more content like this, explore my previous episodes and consider following, rating and sharing the podcast to your friends. Share your thoughts or suggest future topics at the VO2 lounge at gmail.com. That's T H E. VO the number two L O U N G E at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time, it's goodbye.